Well, good morning. It has been a whirlwind for the Crumb family over the last two weeks since we were here last. Uh, and I have to say, I'm, I've been humbled, uh, I've been amazed, and I have been totally exhausted. Uh, it's been a lot. Uh, two weeks ago, right after uh, we left worship here this morning, I headed down to Texas because uh, I didn't think there was enough humidity around here. So I went down to Texas for a few days. Got to spend time with some kids at camp, and then for for those of you who know me, you've heard of our, our plot. About four years ago, uh, my dad came to me and said, hey, for Christmas, we want to take you guys uh, to Hawaii in 2020. <laughs> and that didn't happen. Uh, and then happened in 2021, and then finally this last year, we had this opportunity to go uh, and it is it is beautiful there. It's a trip of a lifetime. One I never thought I would get to go on. And and something really struck me as we were down there and just getting to see this this massive sea that was just rolling in and the tropical beauty that was around us. And we saw all types of fish and all types of little critters and and flowers. It was amazing. And then I just got to thinking. When God created the world, he looked at Hawaii and he, he looked at Australia and, and even he looked at what would one day be Hobbes and he says, that is good, right? But then, then he kept on going and he created man and woman. And you remember what he said? He says, that's very good. And as beautiful as Hawaii was, and as much as I love it, I know exactly why Tim and Barb came to Hobbes. Because God's greatest creation is His people. It's you. And I'm so glad that I got to see part of that, but I'm so thankful I get to be back with my family here and for us to get to worship together. You know, we say some really weird things, don't we? We utter some things that we think, ah, that doesn't quite sound right, but we say it anyway. Like, like when you're trying to think, sometimes you'll say, hang on just a second, I have to rack my brain. What exactly does that mean, to rack your brain? All I know is it sounds really painful. Or maybe when you're mad at someone, you say, I have a bone to pick with you. That makes no sense at all. Or maybe when you can't talk, you have a frog in your throat. Of all the animals that could go in your mouth that would keep you from speaking, why would it have to be a frog? Couldn't you come up with something else? Or maybe when you're passionate, you say, you know, you just have to you pour your heart out. Now, I'm not good with biology or anatomy, but when did the heart become a liquid? How do you pour out your heart? It it doesn't really make sense. Or, or when you want something, especially when you're younger and it involves a seat in a car, you say, I call dibs. Who is dibs and why are you calling him to save your seat? If you really want something, sometimes you'll say, pretty please. Because please is not enough. How how. Nice looking that please is, is very important. 
Maybe when something is good, you say, it's the best thing since sliced bread. Now, I'm not disparaging the sandwich lovers in the audience this morning, but I am suggesting that there have been other things that we could be grateful for, like electricity or indoor plumbing, air conditioning. Those are all great. I don't know why none of those have now taken the place of sliced bread, but that's one of those things we say. When someone needs help, we'll say, let's throw them a bone. Again, I don't know how a bone would help them at that point, but that's something that we say. But, but one of my favorites and one that I find most confusing is when a ball is in the air and it's headed towards a person, what do we yell? Heads up. That's not the right thing to say. When something's coming in at you, you should say what? Heads down. Duck. Get out of the way. We're telling them, look at what is about to hit you in the we're not warning them we're actually just getting them in harm's way you know the last several months we've been talking about the necessity for change or maybe even the word adaptation within the church but for whatever reason everyone including myself have struggled with seeing the church as you and I and here and now Oftentimes when we talk about church, we immediately go to the corporate worship that takes place on the purple pews on a Sunday morning from 9 to 11. Maybe 11.15 if the sermon's long. But that's it. But I want to suggest that we are going to have to rethink what church should look like. And again, I'm not talking about what it's going to look like on Sunday mornings, but what is it going to look like for you and I? Do you think that the church will look differently in the next 50 years? The fact is, it's going to have to look differently. Now, I'm not talking about women's roles or music or putting a coffee shop in the foyer, but I do believe that we must embrace A church that actively involves your participation. And when I say your, I'm not talking about your spouse next to you or your kids beside you or an elder or a deacon or a teacher sitting somewhere. I'm talking about each one of you. We are going to have to rack our brains and pour our hearts out and to get our heads up to be prepared for what's going to take place. Now, when I was in undergrad in the 90s, I was in the youth and family program at ACU, and one of the phrases that kept being thrown around while I was in classes there was this paradigm shift. And to me, that was just a big word that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But as I began to study and as I've gotten older, it seems like that's a phrase that might be appropriate today. Let me give you a little example. In the decades prior to the 90s, a lot of things that were done in in youth ministry revolved around the idea of we have to keep kids busy. Because, as the logic went, if kids are busy, they can't get in trouble, right? 
And so that's what youth ministry was in the 80s, the 90s, and even the early thousands, is we tried to just do things all the times, all the time. Lock-ins, parties, fun activities, trips, and events, as long as it wasn't mixed bathing. It was... Uh, it takes a, a few of you old CFCers to, to know what mixed bathing is, and it's not what you think it is. But we talked about that a lot when I was a child. But after a while, keeping kids busy, we realized, really just left us exhausted and disconnected with the rest of the church. And the kids, believe it or not, they still found time and energy to get into trouble. <laughs> Trust me, I've been on enough youth trips and church camps to know that we can't devo the sin out of kids. And so here the church sits, wondering how we can be a place of refuge in an ever-changing culture. How we could possibly be a beacon of light in a time where darkness seems to reign. We know why we need to adapt even if we fully don't know what that will look like but it all goes back to this same simple question are we willing to make a change so i just want to ask you a few questions real quickly these are yes or no questions and i do ask and hope for your participation in answering these. Think about this. Do you hope that God will use you to change lives? Do you have confidence that he can transform you and the lives of others around you? Are you certain that the church will still be changing and saving lives 50 years from now? Okay, I don't know if I got total participation, but for those of you who answered yes on all three of those, I want to continue on. For those of you who haven't, I would love us to have a conversation later on. Because I want you to believe with confidence and assurance that God has the power, the ability, and the desire to use you to not only transform your life, but the lives of other people around you. That's who we are. We are the church. We are the called out, right? We go out to people and shine the light of Jesus to them. And we do it because we have the Spirit of God living and working and fueling us as we go out. Right? But, but that's for another day. But for those of you who are you said, I know that God can, will, and is going to use me. Then I want you to know that you are among some of those early, early trailblazers who had faith in God through a future that they could not see. Now, I'm using the word trailblazer, and I mean that, but, but that seems a little more modern than where I really think I want to go. I want to talk about the early, early ones. Before Lynn, that's how far we have to go back. 
But you've heard these names before. How about this guy? By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Now that's a trailblazer. Think about what Noah had to do. The ridicule. The questions. He was building an ark for rain that had never yet fallen on the earth. And he's swinging the hammer and he's sawing the saw. And he's getting this whole thing, this huge boat ready. He had no idea what the future held. But faith in something he could not see let him swing that hammer when his arms were tired and his back was aching. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Think about this. That's where we are. That's where Noah was. God says, I want you to build this. What are you going to build it for? For the rain. What's rain? Well, we all know that. We ask that same question all the time. What is rain? I mean, how many of you think, you know what I need? You know, I need a boat. Because, I mean, we might have to drive several hours to take that boat to a place that's big enough that you could put the boat in and it could float. They didn't have anything like that for Noah. Yet God says, I want you to have faith. Abraham's tapped on the shoulder. And God says, I want you to go somewhere. He says, okay, where are we going? He says, I'll, I'll tell you when we get there. Abraham packed his bags when he didn't know where he was headed. It goes on to say that by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign land. He lived in tents as Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of that same promise. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for the city that God would build. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made a promise. And so, from one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. He was as good as dead. God came to him and said, Abram, I want you to know I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your life. And you're going to be the father of many nations. And you're going to have so many children that it would be easier to count the sand on the seashore than to count your children. And Abram, he's old. And Sarah, his, his wife, she's old. He was as good as dead. And God makes this promise. Now this whole sand on the seashore thing, that became very real to me this last week. 
we got to, to visit several different places. And the first place that place we're staying on our hotel has kind of like a little cove in there. And there's this little sand and, and the, the waves are just kind of just barely come in. We thought, oh, this is so great. Like the waves are coming in, you know. I mean, it's just you know about that high. You kind of come in and go by, ooh, this is so great. And then the next day, we ended up driving across the, the island. Uh, and it was beautiful there too. And then just kind of on the way back, we said we're going to go to the North Shore. I didn't know anything about the North Shore. I mean, we we don't have anything like that here in Hobbs, um, but we have the sand, just not the rest of the park. And so we go to the North Shore, and we we jump off a cliff because I mean, why not? And then we decide, hey, there's a beach there. We'll just go hang out there for a few minutes. We had no idea. We got out there, and and any good would say that's wave that doesn't even count we got out there and if you go it's funny because if you're on the beach and the wave comes up it just kind of comes right up to you and then just slowly goes out and if you swim about 30 yards out you can just bob up and down but there's this area I did not know about but there's an area if you go to a beach that has real waves or what I thought was real waves and you get about 20 feet out you go up with the wave and then you come down with the wave now I I not only can I not count the sand on the seashore? I couldn't count the sand that came out of my ear for the next four days. I mean, we hit that and just, bam, hit that. And we would just laugh. And all that sand right there, I, we, we had a, a little devotional on Sunday morning, and we kind of talked about the idea of the sand on the seashore. And I, I told Gracie, I said, hey, do me a favor. Why don't you go get sand, grab a handful of sand, and count it for me. And just think about how much that is. Not one child. Way past an age in which he should have children. God said, I want you to know that you are going to be the father of many nations. And Abram had to be like, can this really happen? I can't see it. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would never have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. They were people of faith because they were willing to look past the here and now and focus on the there and then. Now I have to say, shifting gears for just a minute, that I have enjoyed being at camp about 40 different weeks over the course of my life, whether it was as a camper or a counselor or a director. But this last year, a few weeks ago, I filled a role that I'd never filled before. I was a part-timer. Never have done this before, but this last week, 
I was a part-time camper. I came in on Sunday. I was there Sunday night. I was there all of Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday morning, we got up to leave. Camp continued on, but we had to go uh, to head off to our trip. The trip that, that took nearly four years in planning coincided with our one week at Bandina. Now, that made my week or half week at camp, that experience was totally different. Now, I want you to know I love camp. It is one of my most fond memories growing up. I, I loved it as a youth minister, as an adult, even as an old person who goes now. I love it. But I have to say this, and I say this with great humility, but in all honesty, I'm getting older. <laughs> and camp is getting more difficult. And at my age, what I want more than anything else when it gets dark is to be in my own bed. <laughs> And, 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 and staying, um, being at home in bed with my wife is not the same as being in a super single bed with a mattress that's that wide, that thick, and is surrounded by a bunch of knuckleheads who want to stay up late and go prank other people late at night and all this stuff. But, but I still love camp, right? But I knew going in that I was only going to be there a few days. And so I really had to set my mind on how I was going to, to handle those three days. Now again, I was really excited about what was coming up. Uh, even before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, you know, just getting to spend time with my family is really few and far between, right? i all of my family is in Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm the only one. I'm the black sheep that left. And I went to Hobbs. I, still, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But they're all back there. And so I only get to see them like once or twice a year maybe. And so I, it has been decades since I have spent, you know, four or five days with all of my family. Honestly, we, I'd have to go back to maybe the late 80s. When, when all my family was together, my, my two older brothers uh, and my dad and, and the now our extended family, it's been a really long time since we And so I was really excited about that. I was super excited about getting to go to Hawaii, a, a once-in-a-lifetime trip. And so there was this, this urge, this desire to say, just coast through camp just go through as quickly as you can don't even think about it don't even worry about it you know you know sit down every moment and write a list of things you want to do what you have to pack and all these things you have to get ready for but i got to camp and i just thought here's what i need to do i am only going to be here half time and so i really i want to double down i want to make the very most of this experience I'm going to be here half as much. So I had this talk with me and with God. I said, God, I need you to help me be twice as patient with the kids who want to go pranking in the middle of the night with no shoes on. Like, that's like, help me just enjoy every second of it. You know, normally you kind of get into a groove at camp 
You know, and it's usually on, you know, Wednesday or Thursday. Well, we were already out the door. I said, I've got to make the most of this. And so every, every song that we sang, every de- devotional that was given, every time we had a Bible study, I just wanted to soak it up. I wanted to make the very most of it. I said, because I just don't have that long. I wanted to fully give myself to that experience, to the campers and to God. I want to say, I want this to be the very best. I don't want to cheat the first part of this week because I'm thinking about the second half of the week. And so I decided to let my excitement for what was coming up to fuel me for the events that I was involved in at that moment. Knowing where I was going changed where I was. I want to say that again. Knowing where I was going changed where I was. You see where we're going? I know. I know where I'm going. And I say that with a lot of passion. Because for a really long time, I didn't know. And it's not because I didn't try. It's not because I didn't read. I just didn't believe that there would be an opportunity because of who I was and what I had done. But I'm telling you that the lowly, broken, sinful person that I am I'm going to be with my Father in Heaven for eternity because of His Son Jesus and what He did. And I know that Jesus didn't just die for me and that He died for every one of you in here and for all of the world, for all of time. He sent His Son as a sacrifice. And for those who believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. I hope you know that. Embrace that. And if you do, that should absolutely change your life today. Christianity is not about, I've got a ticket to heaven. And I'm just going to coast through. This is... I can't wait. I'm so excited as to where I'm going. It is going to change how I live and who I am right now. That I can look ahead to that and say, praise God for where we're going. And I want to make the very most of this. You've heard me talk about him before. In fact, we named our our youngest child after him. Joe Bagby was... Just my best friend. He was my my minister. He was uh, my uh, co-worker. Uh, and at 62 years old, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And within six months, he had died. Prior to that, that six month, prior to that diagnosis... He was vibrant and he was on fire and he loved the Lord and he was passionate. He always talked about something that just really I thought was so weird. 
I can remember sitting in his office and saying, you know what, I'm 60 years old, and he was healthy, he was fit, we'd go work out together, we had fun together, I mean, he was just, I mean, sharp as a tack, and he would say, I'm 60 years old, and I just don't know how much time I have left, but I want to give all of it to God. And he would say, you know what, I, I think I may only have 10 years left of preaching left in, to, in me. But I want to make the most out of, out of all of that. I never would have imagined that in just months we'd be burying him. But he wanted to make the most out of life. And for each of you this morning, I want your here and now to be changed because of your confidence of the there and then that we only have a little time and it's going to be awesome there but God is still here now and my prayer is that you will invite him into your daily life and allow Him to continue to transform and change you so that we can shine His light and share His glory with everyone we know. And I want to invite you to join me in that quest as we show Jesus that we love our God and we love the people around us. And let's do that this morning as we stand and sing.